0: you would join with me in taking out your Bibles and turning to the Gospel according to Mark. As we turn to God's Word, let's not do it without turning to him in prayer once again. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are gathered here to hear you speak to us through your Word and by your Spirit. So Father, we pray now and ask that you would open our hearts to your word and your words to our heart that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you ask of your people and father as we do our duty help us to do it in a humble reliance upon christ father may your word before us be our rule your holy spirit our teacher and your greater glory be our supreme concern through jesus christ our lord amen Today we're at week 21 in our series, Jesus According to the Bible, an Exposition of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Last Sunday, when we were in the first six verses of chapter six, we looked at unbelief and the rejection of Jesus. And we in particular wanted to see how people responded to the person and work of Jesus, because that's one of our Mark's shortest catechism questions. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? And we saw the response being one of astonishment, and then one of offense, and then unbelief. And Jesus, we saw, marveled, was amazed by their unbelief. And make no mistake, unbelief is belief. Unbelief is the belief of a lie and the rejection of the truth. Now, even though we're in chapter 6, we cannot get away from chapter 4, from the parable of the sower, because here today we're still seeing that parable worked out as Jesus and now his apostles are sent out to sow the word. Because what we see in the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, we see receiving the word of God or we see rejecting the word of God. And in chapter five, we saw several um, illustrations of receiving or accepting the word of God, trusting in Jesus, coming to him, looking to him, the, the living word. And yet, as we've made the turn now into chapter six, we see... The opposite, not receiving the word, but rejecting the word. There's three stories here in Mark 6 that focus on the rejection of Jesus and his authoritative witnesses. And who are his authoritative witnesses? The apostles and the prophets. And today we will see the refusal to listen to the word of God, the resistance, and then the rejection of the call to repent. The theme here is rejection. You can see it in the title. And for those of you that might want to take notes, uh, I'm sorry I didn't get the the outline in in time, but it's the rejection of the apostles, the rejection of the prophet. And finally, when we consider both of them together, we will see it is the rejection of repentance. Well, let's look first at the rejection of the apostles We'll read verses 7 through 13 and then verse 30. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals. And then verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Here's the mission of the apostles. They were called to Jesus and sent out from Jesus. And this really is a continuation of what we read in chapter 3, verse 13 and following. Here, Jesus sends them out in verse 7. And in verse 12, we read, they went out. And in verse 30, we read, they returned to Jesus. This is an out-and-back mission of word and deed, preaching and proclaiming, casting out demons and healing with authority, with the authority of Jesus. And you heard Jesus gave detailed instructions, and in particular, one important aspect. Now, to be sure, traveling light is important and uh, staying in a home in the same place and not moving up to better accommodations is important. But one particular aspect, in keeping with the theme of rejection that we saw in the first part of chapter 6, is this how to prepare for rejection. How to prepare for rejection. Of course, they are to work in teams, probably two by two, because the establishment of truth was determined by two witnesses in Jewish law. They were to reply, rely on hospitality. They were to help people practically. They were to heal and cast out demons as avenues to the real need of salvation, just as Jesus did when he healed the paralytic. They were to, as it were, preempt natural resistance to the gospel through unquestionable integrity and by obvious compassion. Jesus sends them out in servant mode, and they are to arrive and stay in servant mode. But what we also see in this account is a shocking denunciation. Despite these instructions, as it were, to be kind, open, and respectful to those that they encounter, they were also to, we see in verse 11, shake off the dust, if not received and listened to. They were to preach elsewhere just like Jesus as he moved on after his rejection in Nazareth. They were to warn the village through the shaking off of the dust of their feet. They were to warn the village that they would have to answer to God on the coming day of judgment. And here for the original reader, for the original audience, it is absolutely shocking because here Jewish land is treated as pagan Gentile territory. This is how you were to act in pagan foreign lands, not how you were to operate in the promised land. But Jesus here is again distinguishing belief from unbelief. What is Jesus saying to his servants, to his apostles? He's saying despite coming in servant mode, do not be cowardly. Do not be afraid. Do not seek to avoid persecution and rejection by compromising the message of repentance. And make no mistake, they are following in Jesus' wake. Jesus came, we read in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, to say what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It was a message of repentance. But notice here it is a balanced picture. These are compassionate servants who have the courage to tell the truth about Jesus. And when they are not listened to, when they are not received, it's not a matter of offering hospitality to visiting disciples of a rabbi. That's not the problem. It is rejecting The teaching of Jesus. Because you see, their teaching is the teaching of Jesus. Because they are being sent out as his representatives with his authority. And the amazing thing is, these are still doubting, um, frail, weak. You will see all of them abandon Jesus at the end. And yet, nonetheless, he sends them out. What an encouragement to us. Are you waiting to share Jesus until you get your life together? Are you waiting till every doubt is answered before you reach out to the neighbor, the coworker? Jesus has wisdom in sending out his men now for their training. So they'll grow in dependence upon him. Make no mistake, the day of Pentecost will come and they will be empowered with the Holy Spirit. But even now, they are ministers of the gospel. It's serious. To reject their teaching is to reject Jesus' teaching, and it's to reject Jesus. So here we see the rejection of the apostles. Now we'll see a long account of the rejection of the prophet, John the Baptist, to help us better understand both the nature and the inevitability of rejection. Before I read this story, um, Have you noticed, well, you may not notice because we haven't gone through all of Mark, but there are two passages that aren't about Jesus in Mark. Everything else is about Jesus. And to be sure, even the passages that aren't about Jesus directly are absolutely about Jesus. But here, there are two passages not about Jesus. And guess what? They're both about John the Baptist. Right in the beginning, And right at the end, they have the arrival on the scene of John the Baptist as the herald of Jesus. And here is the departure from the scene as a faithful servant of Jesus, faithful to death. It's been said of John that he could not be bought by men's smiles nor intimidated by men's scowls. And what did Jesus think about John? What did Jesus think about this forerunner, this one who baptized him? What did Jesus say? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Wow. What a statement. John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Children, if you're ever given one of those quizzes and ask, who's the last Old Testament prophet? It's John the Baptist. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Look with me at verses 14 through 16. And that's our first question in our shortest catechism. We read this, King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Here... some questions about who is Jesus in a few weeks we'll get to chapter 8 when Jesus is confessed and recognized as the Christ but as you can see people are unsure about who exactly Jesus is there were popular beliefs was he Elijah was he one of the Old Testament prophets was he John the Baptist come back from the dead Herod of course thought that it was John well who was Herod This is Herod Antipas, the seventh son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great being the one ruling in that area at the time of Jesus' birth, who put all the young boys to death around the time of Jesus' birth. And he was the ruler or the tetrarch of Galilee and Perea at this time, and ruled from about 4 BC to 39 AD, and he's serving as an administrator under Rome. Now, as we go through this story of John the Baptist, I want you to notice that there are three named characters. Each is a case study of rejection. Listen now as I read verses 17 through 29. This is the flashback. This is the backstory. story. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias And yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. First, this is a case study on how a believer attracts and faces rejection. And we see that most pointedly in John the Baptist. John the Baptist told the truth. He called Herod to repentance in no uncertain terms in the form of the verb communicates. He kept on calling Herod to repentance. We see this in verse 17. It was against the law to marry your relative. And oh my goodness, those relatives. I mean, she was both his sister-in-law and his niece. It was against the law. And John was not afraid to speak to any and all the truth of God's word. He told the truth and yet he had compassion and integrity and it commanded respect. We read of Herod fearing John. John is a clear illustration of the ways the Christian is supposed to live and to serve. Because a clear Christian witness will be both attractive to and repulsive to non-believers. Non-believers should be attracted to us. What, What are you about? What's going on in your life? But the more that they hear the truth and if God is not simultaneously working in their heart, they will be repelled by the truth. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.15 that we are to speak the truth in love. So if we are are called to be both truthful and loving, we will both attract and repel. So much could be said about this, but here's the point. John the Baptist is a case study of how a believer attracts and faces rejection. But on the other hand, we have a case study on how not to handle rejection. Herod. Herod? Well, where is Herod facing rejection? Well, think about it. We'll see in a moment he wants to save face. He is curious and fascinated with John's message. And like many people, he is perplexed. Yet he's desperately afraid not only of displeasing his wife, but we will see he's He's afraid of losing face to his party guest. He's afraid of displeasing his wife who wants to kill John. But what does Herod do? He just puts him in prison. Why? So maybe he can keep going to him and listening. Tell me about this this man coming after you. Tell me about this lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Tell me about produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Tell me about this. He's desperately afraid of his wife, but he's desperately afraid of losing face to his party guest. He makes a vow to the daughter of his illegitimate wife, and he's afraid of her. He's afraid of looking weak in front of the military commanders and the government officials. So he decides then and there that his pride is more important than John's life. Or John's honor. But here we also, in the other named character, have a case study of why Christianity will bring rejection, and we see that with Herodias. Did you listen carefully to what is recorded? There is no indication that Herodias thought John was wrong. She hated him because he was right. She hated him because his life represented truth. It's been said a few places I read that the only place that her marriage license could be safely written was on the back of the death warrant of John. And she eventually got her wish through the dancing of her daughter at this men's only banquet She is an example of how people deal with a bad conscience. They put it out of mind and they forget it. Christians will always remind people of the truth and they will make it hard to suppress the truth. And we see that in Paul's writing in Romans 1 and we're seeing it all around us now today. In order to suppress the truth, eventually you have to suppress the Christian Because the Christian is the one who follows the one who said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Herodias' actions could sort of be useful for us because it reminds us that in our hearts, there is a massive engine of self-justification that seeks to destroy what gets in the way. John the Baptist is getting in the way of Herodias and Herod's married life. Herod is content to just put him in prison. Herodias is not content. She wants him dead and she gets her wish. This is an example, what we just looked at, of the sandwich structure where in the middle of the sending out and the coming back of Jesus' apostles is this story of the death of John the Baptist. And here you see mission and martyrdom, discipleship and death brought into an inseparable relationship. Well, what we have when we consider both the rejection of the apostles and the rejection of the prophet, the rejection of the apostles is the The um, refusal to listen and the rejection of the, the prophet is an initial resistance and later rejection of repentance. It's the rejection of that central message. And what is the message of both the apostles and the prophets? The word of God, it's repent, repent. And so finally, the rejection of repentance. The rejection of repentance. Well, what is repentance a turning, a changing of the mind. Here we have it, and I never saw Scripture proof until a couple of days ago. Sorry is not enough. You've heard that said by your parents, right? Say you're sorry, but, you know, it's really not enough. Here it is. Herod was sorry. He goes on to order the execution of John. John repentance and faith we see that in mark 1 14 and 15 repentance and faith it's two sides of the christian coin a great definition of course of repentance is found in our shorter catechism 87 what is repentance unto life repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin an apprehension of the mercy of god in christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Our text shows in general the rejection of this, rejection of repentance when we see the apostles, but we see it in particular when we see the rejection of repentance as it concerns The prophet John. Repentance. It's urgent and important. Those of you that like to organize your life in those four quadrants, repentance fits in the urgent, immediate, important quadrant. Let's go back to Herod. Did you know that there is never a convenient time to repent? It's always inconvenient. To repent. Herod's conscience throughout this story is is at times stirred, but it becomes more and more hardened. Do you know when Herod appears again in the gospel accounts? Anybody familiar with where Herod shows up? In Luke 23. And he's not talking to John the Baptist this time. He's talking to Jesus the one John the Baptist pointed to. And you know what Jesus' response to Herod was? No more to say. No more to say. For both Herod and Pilate, we see at the end of Jesus' earthly life, for both Herod and Pilate, concerns of the word, world choked out the word from both John and Jesus. My friends, it's the parable of the sower. It's still there at Jesus' impending crucifixion. Sinclair Ferguson writes this, unless we silence sin, sin will silence conscience. Unless we heed God's word, the day may come when we despise God's son and then God will have nothing more to say to us. What was the message of Jesus, the apostles, and the prophet John? What was the message? Repent. What do you see in our text as both a possible and an actual response? Because Jesus said, when they will not receive you, when they do not listen, then go away. But here we saw with John, that's actually what happened. What is happening? It's the rejection of the message and the rejection of the messenger. Well, we need to conclude here. And I want to remind us that this theme of rejection is hanging over our text. And we're going to conclude by considering two edges of the Word of God that are also present in our text. The first is a warning. When the call to repent is rejected, the results is the withdrawal of further teaching. When the call to repent is rejected, the call to repent actually will decrease. In other words, the the, the consequence of rejection, of repentance, is that Jesus leaves you alone. Now, There may be some here, and there are certainly lots out there who may like that idea to be left alone. But on the day coming when you and I and everyone will stand before the judge, before God, we will not want to be left alone. We will want to have an advocate there with us. And my friends, those of you that are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, have an advocate, and he has never lost a case. Now, you may be saying, I, I wouldn't reject Jesus, but let me ask you this. Who were the apostles and prophets? His authorized representatives. And so when you reject his authorized representatives, you reject him. In other words, you reject, are you ready for this? His word. We reject this, we reject Jesus. Those who reject Jesus now will be guaranteed to be rejected by Jesus later. But that's the warning. I got to end with encouragement. I mean, what a title, The Rejection of Repentance. Let's end with this other edge encouragement. The call of the gospel is the call to repent and believe. The time will come and and the call will cease. And the call will no longer be heard. So what's the encouragement in that? You're alive now to hear the call to repent and believe. You're alive now to hear the warning through the word. For Christians, you know in advance that the gospel will be rejected by some. You know in advance that as proclaimers and living demonstrations of the power of the gospel to change a life, you will also be rejected by the unbelieving world. Forewarned is forearmed. It's an encouragement. But my friends, remember this, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, that Paul proclaimed, that the apostles proclaimed, that even John proclaimed, that we proclaim, the gospel is good news. And hear it like this today, Jesus was rejected so that all those who turn from their sin and turn to him in faith will be accepted by God and live truly, happily, ever after. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your raw and rough word today about the the death of the one who pointed to Jesus like no other. And yet, Father, in his death, Just like, in particular, the death of the one who came after him, we have life. Oh, Father, would you prepare your people to face rejection with joy, knowing that we are following a crucified Savior, but we're also following a risen Lord. Oh, Father, we acknowledge that that repentance and faith is not only the entrance to the Christian life, but it is the highway on which we live. And so would you help us to run the race of repentance? Would you enable us by your Holy Spirit to help us more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness? Oh, Father, we desire more than anything to become more and more like our Savior. Would you help us? to not reject repentance in our own lives. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.